0: I'm going to begin reading in verse 29. Last week we looked at the ministry of John uh, the Baptist as a witness uh, to the light of the gospel. I was saying last week that it was God's plan uh, that the spread of the gospel, and that is the light of Jesus Christ, be spread throughout the world, throughout the darkness in the world, to the obedient witness of the church. That is his plan. Uh, that through the faithful witness of believers that the, the gospel will be spread to the ends of the earth. Uh, and, and so we're so challenged by that and encouraged by that. And today, we, again, we want to look at the ministry of John, uh, not just the manner in which he preached, but uh, really the message which he preached in verse 29 through 34. And so let me just read that for us. We'll look at it together. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Our greatest need as a person, as a people... Uh, is met in jesus <laughs> our greatest need as a people is met in jesus and that sounds like a sunday school answer doesn't it something that a religious person ought to say and since you're here maybe you ought to at least nod along with that statement because that's draw that's what you do it's like you send your kids off to sunday school and you ask them what did you learn today well i learned about god it's very informative we're glad what about god well about jesus and the Bible. Pretty sure the Bible was in there. So we're, we're glad that Sunday school has those environments, but that's one of those answers we tend to give. And some in our society might say that uh, that is a good answer while being ignorant to the many complexities of the global issues that we face around us. An article, for example, that the United Nations published in alarming language, in 2001 he said this climate change is a crisis multiplier that has profound implications for the international peace and stability of the world uh, quoting a, a naturalist uh, who was speaking at this conference in the UN he said this climate change is the biggest threat modern humans had ever faced Period. That's a pretty, that's a pretty alarming and and overwhelming statement. I was reading an article this week, and one, one famous singer. It was famous. I don't listen to that genre, but nevertheless, she was famous in the genre she sung in, or sings in. And she said, "The most uh, key issue in the world is the climate." Now, I know some of you are scoffing at that, and. That's why I brought it up, because it just kind of rubbed you the wrong way. That's what we're supposed to do in introductions to sermons. (laughs) You may disagree with that. Clearly, we see the present war going on, totalitarian governments, nuclear threats, disease, it seems there's a new one every month coming, viruses, food crisis, economic instability, just to name a few. Um, We even come to realize or or at least believe to some degree that political parties and affiliations is some of the greatest dangers facing our time, as we have been reminded of just recently. What I want to say is that out of all of this, or or all of this, is an outgrowth of one major issue. That's pretty good if you can boil it down to one, and I know it seems simplistic, uh, but it's sin. The greatest problem that we face in the world uh, that we live in, the greatest problem we face in our own life, the pain in all the, uh, the things that make life difficult and hard, is boiled down to an outgrowth of sin. Sin. We see it throughout the world, which we live in. We see it in the violence of the streets in Chicago. We feel it when we are in areas in the city where we feel like we should not be, and safety has left us, where we are not sure whether we're going to make it through this without becoming a statistic. You find it on the street corners in Albany. Perry is the front row seat to the ramifications and the manifestations of sin. Uh, the hospitals and ERs in the middle of the night with overdose patients or abuse victims who, who uh, on another bad night are coming to recover from someone else's physical abuse. We're reminded continually from the violence that we face and, and the doubt and, and all the other things that come around us of this overwhelming problem of sin in the world. Not just its manifestations in a thousand different ways of greed and corruption in society, abuse and leadership, and and all the other things that we might find. We feel we feel the weight of its results or its effects on us. Well, the amount of anxiety and shame and guilt and all the other things that we manifest continually. Well, it is common in our day, uh, not. Uh, to dismiss the reality of sin, but we always look at it as something outside of us. It's this people or that group or that that agenda. It's this nation, this country. It is the sins of my fathers or past generations. And we become acutely aware because we can look back with a sense of wisdom, we hope, and, and try to point those things out. It's always on society and bearing on society. And yet when you come to the word of God it says, yeah, that is true. It is the problem of your fathers and past generations. It is what you see and what you feel around you. But it is also the thing that's within you, which causes your greatest problem. And so we see sin not only in its effect in the society, which makes it go wrong. Why things don't work as they ought to. But it's also sin in us, which makes us go wrong. And we don't do what we ought to. What I'm saying is that we can't always look at the problem of sin outside of us. as something foreign to us. What the Bible says is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not an exemption to that. It speaks in universal, complete, ultimate terms. There is not one that doeth good. No, not one. There is none righteous, none. Continually seeing that the problem is not just what we face when we go outside our doors. It's the problem that we face as we look in the mirror, as we sit in the silence of our car, driving down the road by ourselves, and and the thoughts and the actions and all those things come to mind. Now, this being the thing that's one of our greatest problems, or our greatest problem, it would be good to determine what we mean by the word sin. I think for most of us, it's one of those things that we know, maybe we don't know. But let me just say this, or explain sin this way. We've heard it in archery terms as missing the mark, putting an arrow on a bow and aiming, and, and missing the target, missing the bullseye. Uh, And I would say sin is that, it's missing the mark, it's a deviation from the will of God. In fact, it's not just missing the mark, it's aiming at a different target altogether. Sin is, is breaking or deviating from God's design for us as human beings, his creation. It is to, to go astray or to be rebellious or go against his will in our actions and our thoughts. Sin is not just missing the mark in the deeds that we do. It's missing the marks in the, the person, the perception that we have. Sin is, again, something that we are reminded is not only the thing that we experience, but is the thing that you and I are accustomed to. It is the normality of life. That's why when we contemplate heaven, there's both the, the joy and the unbelief at the same time, at the concept, at the end of Revelation, because it is a place without the things that we know are true now. Don't you always find that odd when you read about no a curse thing? We'll enter in, we'll look at that verse in just a moment, uh, how odd it is, fascinating and joyful it is, and how hard it is to conceive Because we are so accustomed, not just in a matter of single offenses, but sin as being a way of life, a way of life. One theologian is helpful in this, speaking about sin, not only as our defiant acts, but our disposition. When he writes, the deepest inclination, the innermost disposition, the fundamental directedness of human nature And confesses that it is not turned toward God, but away from him. Saying that is human depravity. That is the the problem which we all possess. That our directedness, at at our core disposition is away from God. The Bible says even against God, not towards him. So it is not just an act, as we might say, against our neighbor, sin. Violating our neighbor, taking advantage of, abusing to some degree, manipulating our neighbor. But sin, in its essence, is a defiant act against God himself. You know the story of David when he sins against and Bathsheba, and then he makes that ultimate confession against you. And you only have I sinned. Well, he did sin against other people, but recognizing the ultimate act of disobedience and rejection of his sin was a rejection and disobedience against God. But that would not and is not necessarily a problem, except for the fact that God is just. So sin, the problem with it and its deviation and its rejection of God's will and his desire for human activity and human life, and the violation against his law would not be a problem except for the fact that God is ultimately just and righteous and holy. That is where sin becomes and is our greatest problem. You see, we have all experienced sin in the world, sin against us, around us. We also experience the weight of sin in us, and the Bible says the wages of that sin and disobedience is death. Because God is just, God will require He will require justice against the violation against His law. You and I live in a place where we. We see the ramifications in society and we're told by the reality that we have funeral homes and hearths and, and all the things that we do when people die. But the wages of our sinfulness, the consequences, the outcome of our disobedience awaits us. To put it in the Hebrew term, or the writer of the Hebrews, it is once appointed unto man to die and after this, the judgment. Ultimate justice, or justice in its truest sense, demands that sin be accounted for. And you and I live with this weight of wages and consequence over us as a people. Now, that is the backdrop that we find in the Bible. That is what the Bible teaches us. That's its, it's teaching about human conditions. Since Adam disobeyed God, we can blame it on Adam. That's good. But the Bible says we're all culpable. We're all guilty. We have all sinned. And so the guilt is not just upon Adam, but it's upon each of us because we each have violated God's law and his commands. And so at the backdrop of the message of John the Baptist in the gospel is this reality that your greatest problem is sin, not sin outside. Side of you, although it is a problem in the world, we feel the weight of it, but sin in you and the guilt and shame and all the things that come with that. And in that backdrop, John the Baptist proclaims and points us in this beautiful statement in verse 29, look at it with me, <clears throat> as he conveys to us the message we need. He says the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. The next day meaning after the day after he was speaking to the delegates and they're asking, John, who are you and what are you doing here and why are you baptizing people? He'll tell us why in a little bit, why he's doing these things. But his sole focus in ministry was to convey to us the message that we most desperately needed and the message that quite often we are so reluctant to hear, and that is, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who removes sin, takes it away. And and another way of saying, John is saying to us that the greatest problem that we face, the Bible's teaching, is sin. And the the fix for that, the, the help in that, the solution in that, is found in this Lamb of God. Is found in Jesus, this one who has come, this eternal Word. And we've been studying Daniel on Wednesday nights. You're welcome to join us for that. And uh, we are getting into the the interesting parts of visions and and animals and kingdoms and and stuff that's kind of fascinating and hard to describe. And and one of the beasts that comes, which is typical of one of the kingdoms, is some beast with iron teeth and claws and it's a horrific animal. And showing that he comes in in such violence to conquer and to and to and to take what is his. Isn't it interesting when he speaks about the Messiah and the kingdom of God? He he doesn't say, look at the lion. Look at his sharp teeth, the claws, or look at the Look at the elephant. I don't know why I put elephant in there, but you get it. Some of you have those on your mantle. Think gentle giants. They're huge. He doesn't say look at the tiger or look at something that is intimidating. He points us to a lamb. He points us to a gentle creature. A lamb, as he refers to it. The expectation... Of God's deliverance turns out to be something totally unexpected. Even John the Baptist was wondering midway through the ministry. Is this the one or should we look for another? Because you see one coming in gentleness and meekness and, and his kindness. We find that in Matthew 11. God points us to the solution for the issue in life. Our problem in life to one who is meek and lowly. Who gives to us gentleness and rest for the weary and downcast? I think that's a message we need to hear today. To the burden and the overwhelm, to those bearing the weight of the consequences of their sin, here is a Savior. Here is the solution, one who gives rest and doesn't break the back of the brokenhearted. He doesn't quench the last embers of those who are downcast. There is a hope and a savior for the needy. We sung that already this morning. He speaks of a lamb. But the lamb comes as a different image as well. Not only does it speak of the meekness here, he comes to remind us of what he has come to do or or how he will remove sin from us. The first I would like to mention of that is he aims to take away sin in judgment. That seems surprising to you, doesn't it? Thought I'd say something else. Some suggest many scholars, as they argue over this and spend a lot of ink and a lot of pages that you have to wade through, and a lot of words that, well, it's not important. They say John here has in mind this apocalyptic figure, the Lamb of God, which is coming to, to make war and put away all sin and all rebellion and rule his kingdom it part comes from the uh, the apocalyptic literature of the Jewish nation, uh, having reference to the Lamb of God, which is coming to conquer and and to and to do away with sin and the nations, be the Messiah and His deliverance. But it isn't far from what John uses in the Book of Revelation. In fact, thirty times in the in Revelation, John refers to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And what we find this Lamb of God coming, not, not simply in meekness and humility and, and those things are true, but in Revelation we find He is the one that is worthy to take the books of the scroll. He is the one worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In 6.1, as judgment begins to be poured out on the face of the earth, he says, now I watched when the Lamb opened uh, the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, like thunder, come. Or again in 17.14, he says, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Those with him are called... And chosen and faithful. Over and over the Bible reminds us. Or over and over Revelation reminds us of this coming lamb. This conquering figure who is coming to remove all rebellion and sin and violence from his creation. He is the one who will bring an end to all of it. In fact in chapter number 22. Jesus again being referred to the lamb in verses 1 through 3. Then the angels showed me a river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the trees were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, but that throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. It is the Lamb of God who will bring the cleansing of creation, the restoration in which he removes sin. Nothing defiling, nothing cursed in the new heavens and the new earth when the Lamb has finished his work. Behold the Lamb of God who has come to purge his creation from all sin, to remove it, to take it away. There's something to be said about that in our desire today. Our search, even our our work endlessly for peace, prosperity, for lasting uh, impact uh, as we seek to, how to bring people together that are constantly at odds, and we find ourselves oftentimes in futility don't we? We have often heard I know I did growing up, often heard will there be peace in the middle east and And we think of that in other places as well. And what I I want you to see here in Revelation's account of chapter 22, what John declares, it is through the Lamb that that will actually be realized. It is through the Son of God, the the one who has come 2,000 years ago. It is through Him and His second coming. It is through the work in which He is doing now and will finish at His return that that deepest longing for peace and prosperity and healing will be realized. He will accomplish our deepest desires, the things that we fight and long for. It's not that we're futile now, working for those things. I just want to remind you that the vindication, justice, and harmony, perfect rule of a government, all of it's found in Jesus Christ, in his kingdom. And church, that is the message we give to the world, isn't it? Your deepest longings, those things which are are not sinful, but, but I think part of us being created in the image of God, wanting to see things put right, the fulfillment of those things are found in Jesus. And in our longing, we can turn to him. And you know, in turning to him, we find the first fruits of those things even here and now, don't we? We don't wait until we get to heaven to find peace. We don't wait till we get to heaven to find a, a fellowship and prosperity and, and harmony and those things like that. even now we experience the fruit of the Lamb's work in removing sin. But he not only removes it once in, in judgment, and will remove it at his second coming in judgment, but he removes it in judgment on himself. Now we 're speaking not just simply of creation, purging creation from sin and everything that defiles and everyone who is sinful in that regard, but but the Bible reminds us that in this one he is removing sin on a personal level, not just globally. Not just the world, like the world will be fixed. And our problem is the world in one part, right? We live in a world that's affected by sin. But our greatest need, our greatest problem that troubles us is the personal application of sin. The personal committing of sin that you and I have. And so it is the Lamb of God that we look at, that God has provided for us a sacrifice. And so through judgment on himself, he gives us this gift Of carrying away our sin. As the psalmist says from the east. As far as from the east is to the west. Our own guilt and culpability. The outflow of our guilt and shame. The haunting memories and thoughts and actions. Are all meant to find their healing. And their help in Jesus Christ. That is the New Testament message. That's what the gospel says. Uh, the backdrop of the gospel is our greatest need, which is sin. Not just in the world, but in our own, uh, in our, in our own life, in us. And the solution to that is found in the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God not only conveys this apocalyptic figure coming in judgment to, to carry out the judgment of God upon the wicked and unbelieving But it's also an image of a different kind of judgment. A judgment in the place of or on the behalf of someone else. Over and over in the Bible, we'll not turn to them. There's no need to look at many references. We're reminded of God sparing people and showing mercy and grace. And instead of judging them, judging an animal, a helpless animal, An innocent animal. The whole sacrificial system as you begin opening Leviticus. Begins with a series of sacrifices reminding the the goodness and mercy of God. For those who have sinned. It's here that Christ has come. The Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. To remove sin. Not just remove it from its presence but to cover it and remove it from us. Of course, the Passover and many other places. But I do want to read Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 7. He says, Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. And here is a prophecy of Jesus and his crucifixion. And you notice the prophet is speaking about this servant of God who is Is dying in this horrific manner, and dying in this horrific manner, he uses the language of not for himself. You you see that in verses number four. He, speaking of the servant of God, has borne our grief. It was not his own grief, and he carried our sorrows. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for whose transgressions it was ours. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's very clear what he's referring to here. What we come to understand that this one servant, this one mediator between God and man will bear the iniquity of a people. He will be beaten, and his stripes and his his death will be for the sake of the healing of these people, which he's referring to. He was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led for the slaughter, and like sheep that is before his shearers silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, the Bible is saying that here is the solution. That in Christ one will come as a lamb to offer his body, to offer his life for the judgment of God upon our sin. To take what was owed us and what we, what we have coming, so to speak, to, to satisfy the justice of God. Now, turn with me to Romans 3. Is in this Lamb of God that we have been provided forgiveness, Romans three. Beginning in verse number 21, we've already stated that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's found in verse 23. He says, beginning in verse number 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's a key point there given to us a stipulation a condition for there is no distinction for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that it might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus and so we begin this by saying our our greatest need is met in jesus christ and god is telling us through paul writing to us here to the roman church and and saying that god has not forfeited his justice but he has satisfied his justice through someone else, through a mediator, through this Lamb of God. And it is through the Lamb of God that God may both be just, as righteous and holy, and that he may be the justifier. But notice what he says here at the end of that. Not only that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And there's the key, isn't it? How does one come at the end of the day, at the end of this day, with this confidence that God is not only just, we know that it's true, the Bible teaches us that, but how do we come with the confidence of being justified or or him being our justifier? We come with that, with what he says here, it is to the one who believes. Not to the one who covers over their sin or ignores it, who runs from it, who Not to the one who tries to do better the next time or works hard or does enough rice to weigh out the wrongs that he did. The way to become justified is through faith in Jesus Christ. John is pointing to his day, the hope of Israel, saying, Look, here's the Lamb of God, the one who has come to justify the people of God in all, without distinction, who believe. All without distinction. Jesus is not just a savior of the Jews, is not just a savior of the middle class, is not just a savior of the poor. I was in the military with someone who had said one time Christianity, he thought, was for the women and the weak minded. That was a very terrible thing to say, wasn't it? Some believe that Christianity is for those who just can't help themselves. And so you have to turn to some other source. Maybe some other comfort to help. It's saying without distinction. Without distinction of class or race or gender. Without distinction of sin or without distinction of... of, Without distinction. (laughs) All who believe. Without distinction, God not only becomes just displays his justness but he becomes the justifier because the wrath of your disobedience was met on Jesus on the cross that is the message of John and the It's the message of the Gospels. It's the message of the Epistle. That's the New Testament message. That's the the Gospel in a nutshell. That our greatest need is, is to do something with the sin and the guilt and the shame. And all the things that we did. The violation against God's law. And the solution to that. The answer to that. The help for that is found in the Lamb of God. And Jesus the guilty find forgiven but also the cure and help for shame and guilt and fear. It is in not only this decree of being justified by faith that we have help, but it is in dealing with the guilt and shame of our sin and our culpability we find resolution and help and, and a solution in Jesus Christ. Forgiven, justified, cleansed. And it is so by God breaking Jesus, so that the broken by sin may find healing in this life and the life to come. I want you to know that the ministry of the gospel not only points to a time in the future where this will be realized, but it is actively now at work in delivering us and undoing the hold of sin in our lives to those who believe and come to him and restoring fellowship with our neighbor as we walk in fellowship with our Father. If I could put it simply, sin will be removed in the judgment of God by Christ, his lamb. Rest assured, the book's already finished. Or, and this is the good part, it is removed in and through Christ, the lamb by faith. And that is the message that John has put forth to a nation who is anticipating hope. And he says that, that hope is richer than you could think of. This is the one who's taking away the sin of the world. And so let me just conclude with this thought. And I hope those of you here this morning. That if you don't know the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. Today's the day of salvation. I don't know how much more clear we could be. Much more that could be said to convince you that God's solution for sin not only in the world, but the sin in your life, the mess you've made of it, is found in Jesus Christ. And as long as you stay away from Him, you bear the weight and the consequences of your sin wholly on yourself. But if you come to Him, you find acceptance and forgiveness and healing, restoration. What a gospel message. Well, let me just say this in short in verses 28 through 29 through 34 john the baptist is such an intriguing figure because he reminds us not only is this the message we need but this is the ministry which we have look with me verse number 30 he says this is he speaking of the lamb of god the son of god later on he'll refer to him as that after me comes a man who ranks before me that's what i've been saying he's before me he's he's honored he's before me in existence, but he's also before me in rank. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, last week we looked at this a little bit, if you were with us. Said, Why are you doing what you're doing, John? And John just simply said, he said, I'm doing what I'm doing as a witness to the light. Here he says, my whole ministry is wrapped up in this one one goal. And Again, I don't know. About you, but I love simplicity. And that's just simply that Jesus might be revealed. I baptize for sin. And he's preaching and calling people to repentance and believe and to trust. And to turn away from those things in their life. He's calling people back to faithfulness to God. And he's doing all of this for the sole purpose that he might be revealed to Israel. That's the essence of ministry, isn't it? I know that's as plain as the nose on your face it's kind of like the yellow line and I almost have to ask for your forgiveness to, to insult your intelligence we know that to be true you have no use for the yellow line until you're sightseeing right and then it reminds you traffic's coming and you need to stay on your side of the road but you know you have to stay on your side of the road when you drive for the most of you until you want to pass somebody on the shoulder that's the thing up here I think I'm working that out. (laughs) Took me a while, a lot of sanctification and and through that. Anyway, don't we need those simple reminders of how we're to function, how we're to minister? What is our church for, the ministry center? What is our mission? What is is Sunday school and teaching and classes and discipleship? Isn't it all just for that one simple purpose that Christ may be revealed? Isn't that our greatest desire? Why? Because our greatest need is met in Him. And not only our greatest need met in Him, but but it is multiplied in the provision of who He is and what He's done, we find out as we go along in the Christian walk. It's almost as if the half hasn't been told to us as we come to Him. You see, we need to be reminded of the simplicity of John the Baptist and his ministry, because that's the ministry we have. Not just church in an official sense, but that is our Christian life in essence. If God's plan is to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth through the active obedience of the church, then then he does that through a church who is willing, glad, and, and actively trying to just simply live in a way, share in a way, work in a way, whatever it is you do, in a way that Christ may be seen to those who don't know him. That's simply John's mission, and it simply is the ministry God has given to us. Paul says it in, in great terms in which we have seen here over and over, to live is Christ <laughs> and to die is gain. It's because having been forgiven by him, having received him, we get the joy of telling others, and we'll look at that next week more, of telling others what we have found. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day we gather together. Thank you for your glorious grace. Lord, thank you for thank you for our Savior, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, his willful obedience, uh, so that we might be forgiven and restored and given hope. But we just praise you for all that you do for us in Christ. And I pray even now that if someone here does not know you and they've never put their faith and trust in Christ, that even today that they would do that. I'm so glad that you have, you have given us a, a way of salvation that is so simple. Romans, you teach us they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that even they would now call upon him asking for forgiveness of sin and receiving the gift of salvation that he offers. Lord, I pray for us as a a church, pray for us in this community, Lord, that you would continue to use us in a way that we could just simply show Christ to those who are around us. Remind us of this often in Jesus' name. Amen.